This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. This is Keys to the City with Anthony Weiner. Welcome to Keys to the City. Okay, I'm not going to do the normal introduction. This is episode, we're going to call it 10.1. Hopefully by now, you've listened to episode 10.0, which is about body cameras and my idea that has now become pretty much the law of the land that all officers on the beach should wear body-worn cameras. And if you listen to 10.0, you'll hear my introduction, how I talk about how important it is that these become tools for officer safety and for evidence quality and for civilian complaints to be verified or disproven, how we make sure that the city is not held liable for anything that an officer did or didn't do. But you also heard that my interview with Professor O'Donnell went a little bit sideways. And so I promised that I would come back quickly, and hopefully this is landing in your inbox at the same time, with another interview, which does a little bit of a better job having a conversation about the issue at play. This interview, I think, went quite differently because, for one thing, we talked about body-worn cameras and all the many issues that are involved with it. So this is a conversation with Dr. Rudolph Hall. He's also Chief Rudolph Hall. I think you're going to enjoy it and find it very informative. And after, I'll come back with some closing thoughts. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point-of-sale system you can trust, or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system. So welcome back to Keys to the City. This is episode 10.1, I think we're calling this, and we're talking about body-worn cameras, and we have a guest who's going to be joining us, who is arguably maybe the best person we can talk to about this, because he's got experience both in developing the program and in studying it, not only here, but around the country. Dr. Rudolph Hall, who's also Chief Rudolph Hall, is the Assistant Chief of Investigations for the New York State Attorney General, but before that... He did over two decades working for the police department in the NYPD and did just about everything under the sun, was on patrol, was in the risk management bureau, and he'll explain to us what that is, and also helped to create the training program and in the implementation of the body-worn camera program. Chief Hall, thank you very much for joining us. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you. So now we're, we've heard all the arguments in favor of cameras, officer safety and training, evidence quality dealing with civilian complaints, agency liability. It's now become something that we're all used to seeing. We're used to seeing body-worn camera videos in our Twitter feed and everywhere else. 
But in your experience, having developed the program up to train people, anything that you're finding surprising now that body worn cameras have been are basically part of the law enforcement environment. So I will tell you, probably the most surprising thing that I've seen is how fast police officers have adopted cameras and grown to really appreciate the camera. And I say that because when I got involved with body cameras, first of all, I, I wanted no parts of it. And this was back in 2000, late 14, early 15. And uh, Assistant Chief Matt Pontillo was bureau chief now by the time. I was in Joint Terrorism Task Force. I was you know, enjoying the work I was doing, and he had asked me to come work for him in Risk Management Bureau and get involved with this Body One Camera program. What is that What are for our listeners? What is the Risk Management Bureau? Yeah, so uh, this that was started underneath Commissioner Bratton, and it was unique. It was the first time it had ever been started in the uh, United, United States, in the NYPD. I believe LAPD had a model that we kind of copied in NYPD. And the Risk Management Bureau at that time was primarily focused with dealing with the federal monitor to make sure we were meeting the requirements of Judge Shineland court order in regards to the lawsuits over stop, question, and frisk. So right. we changed policy, training, curriculum, or everything around stop, question, and frisk, the law of DeBoer, Terry v. Ohio, constitutional policing. In addition to that was body cameras. We had to do a pilot program to see if body cameras made sense for us. And you say we had to because as part of the agreement, as part of the court order, the judge said, and this was because this was requested, I think, by the parties to the case to say, we want to monitor how this is going by putting these cameras, which were a relatively new thing at the time, right? And actually what happened was during the lawsuits and testimony, there was the policing expert, and I'm drawing a blank on his name at the moment, who, while testifying, mentioned that out in Arizona, police agencies were using body cameras, this new technology. And he thought it was a great way to actually observe interactions between the police and the public on these street level stops to gauge if it was constitutional or not, if the police officer's actions were appropriate. And in the course of him just saying that as a comment, the judge started asking more questions about it. And he said, listen, I'm not an expert on cameras, but I know this is what they're doing in another agency. And from that spawned the idea of mandating that we do a pilot program in NYPD. So you were skeptical. You were skeptical at the beginning, yes. and now it became part of your job to implement this. Mm-hmm. And you're skeptical. You came around. I came around full circle. And I came around because I was ignorant to what cameras really were. There's a lot of rumors out there. And again, this was at that point, it was relatively new. And most people don't realize body cameras, although we keep saying they're new, they've been around in the United States for over 23 years. The first department to try and utilize body cameras goes back to like 1998, 99 out in Southern California. And it didn't last long because the officers complained that the cameras, it had a huge battery pack they had to carry with them. Right. And once they moved away from their vehicle too far, it stopped recording. Hmm. So it was a lot, it was, you know, it was ancient technology at that time. So and agencies here in the United States got away. Nobody, no one else tried it and got away from it. And then it came came up again in about 2005 in London when it was. Uh, and so help us understand. So what brought you around to make it? First of all, tell us a little what as a lifelong police officer, what was your skepticism based on that it wouldn't work or that it would be difficult? It would put cops in difficult positions. What was your your skepticism and what brought you around? So the first, the first thing I've heard, I heard about body cameras is that they record all the time. And my thought was as a young cop, now granted at that time in my career, I was working in the joint terrorism task force. So I wasn't in uniform or on patrol or anything. 
So I wouldn't have been wearing a camera. My first thought was if I was a young cop wearing a camera and I'm in a car with my partner, how would I feel having a camera that's recording every single conversation we have, everything we say, everything we do? And it's so intrusive that it paralyzes you. And as I learn more about body cameras and how it actually works, I realize that's not the case that it records all the time. Now, there are some agents, there was actually a, a pilot that was discussed of putting cameras on officers, non recording nonstop for the entire tour. Mm. I'm not sure how that's, I don't think that's going to work, especially with agencies that have unions. But that was one of the, the thoughts that I had. Then discretion. Can you still have discretion, right? So if you stop someone and you should give them a summons, but you chose not to, well, now how does that play out if the next person you give a summons to? Right. And then that, that becomes an issue. So those are some of the concerns I had early on. I got involved with the body care program in YPD. So I continued to learn and garner breast practices from around the country. I got a chance to travel to many different agencies and see what they were doing. And then it helped make me much more informed. And I went back to school to get my doctorate. I actually did my dissertation study on the effect of body worn cameras on plainclothes specialized police officers in NYPD. So now I think it's I've come full circle with body cameras. And back to my original point, officers, when I would start talking about body cameras in NYPD, say if there was a room of 100 police officers, and I would ask, how many of you would volunteer to wear a camera? I may get two hmm. to three who would raise their hand. The rest, like, I want no parts of it. I will tell you, by the time I left the police department a couple years ago, that same room, you would have 90 to 95 officers say, hey, I, I definitely wear a camera. I don't go on a patrol, I won't go on a patrol without a camera. And I used to tell them a story early on that my father shared with me. My father was a homicide detective, and he came on the police department in New York City in 1966, and he retired in 96. And he told me back in the early 70s, they came out with a portable radio. And he said, hey, guys, oh, who's going to carry a radio around? Nobody needs this. Mm -hmm. They would throw it in the backseat of the car. Okay. And I, I told the young officers referring to body cameras, you know, there's going to come a point in time where how you wouldn't go out on patrol without a radio, you won't go out on patrol without your camera, right? It's going to it takes a chance, time to get used to it and see the benefits of it. And I think we've reached that point where cops now, not just in NYPD, but across the board, across the uh, police spectrum, have learned the benefits of ha having a body camera to record their interactions with the public. How much do you think that's a, a product of just as officers age out and younger officers come in who are used to the idea of cameras everywhere anyway, they're now just more comfortable with the idea that, listen, at least I'll have one to get my side of the story. How much of it is just generationally as, as guys get more comfortable with technology? Well, I think that's a big part of it. We have the police department is extremely young. And you, I mean, you see the stories how officers are sure. retiring and droves. Technology is a big part of it. I think also, of course, we live in a world where the citizen journalists is, you know, has been on the rise and people record everything, right? So I think for officers who are in, interacting with folks and oftentimes all we see is the cell phone video, they realize, hey, my body camera gives me a chance to show what really right. happened. Before right. you caught the last 10 seconds, here's what happened, you know, the five minutes before that. Right. So let me, but let me ask you a question about that in this era we're in of, of so much of this stuff being recorded. You know, Researchers talk about this famous thing called the Hawthorne effect, that people who are being observed act differently than when they're not. Do you think that all of it, the body-worn cameras, citizens having cell phones in their cameras, 
have changed policing in any kind of fundamental way? Are cops more cautious about what they do? Are they less willing to be involved? I mean, what's the flip side? Is the flip side that when they're wearing a camera, they're like, hey, I don't want to have interactions that are contentious when that's really what the police officer's job often is? I, I think there is a chilling effect to being recorded consistently and constantly, and not just for body cameras. As a police officer, it's so it's just you mentioned the Hawthorne effect. So in regards to the Hawthorne effect, I think initially that was true. I think we live in a world, and I read something recently where if you live in, I think it was the city of London, and you walk out down any street in London or you're out in the public, you should anticipate you have been captured on camera of some kind at least 600 times. Huh. In New York City, I think it was like 550. It was close. It was like 550. So we live in a world where we're used to being recorded constantly. And we kind of give up that privacy. That's just what we expect now. I think for police officers who have been, you, know, you see the videos constantly where they go to stop someone and now it turns into a fight and everybody pulls out their cameras. And it's funny, like this morning in my house, I live in Queens, and there was an incident outside. I guess a guy and girl were fighting, and the police came to woke me up. I saw the lights flashing. I look outside, and the young lady, she was, you know, they were big, her and I guess a boyfriend, they were both out of control. And the camera had no chilling effect on them. Mm -hmm, they right. had about seven officers standing around them, and it did have no impact on their behavior. So I believe the Hawthorne effect was true initially. I think we moved beyond that. As far as officers' behavior and reluctance, I think officers are scared. They're scared, for one, because there's, there is a lot of violence happening right now across the board against officers and just in communities across the city, or cities in the United States. But also, they're worried that if I do something that's captured on cell phone video, if I punch someone, although I was all, in my, within my legal right to punch that person, how does it look? And how does it play out on TV? Am I the next person that's, you know who's being uh, blasted on some talk show for using force, although it's justified. So for a lot of young officers, they, this is a scary time for them. I think the cameras do help, but body cameras, they're limited because the camera doesn't capture everything. Right. There, there was a case uh, in, in Manhattan, in Harlem, where the officers chased this guy who was attacking, uh, sexually attacked a woman by like groping her. And the officers tackle him to the ground, but the officer's camera flies off. And so you don't see some of the interaction. And then there was some questions about why did the officer, why did his camera not capture it? You know, things like that nature. So the camera, the cameras are a phenomenal tool, but it's not an absolute. Yeah, I mean, look, like any other investigative tool, that there are limitations and everything requires context. And I think that that's on the part of both the public, the media and law enforcement to kind of try to lend that context. And it's worth pointing out that some of the highest profile cases that we've had in recent months, a deli owner, Alves, is accused of something, someone punches someone at random. These things get captured on videotape, not on a body-worn camera, but it, it dominates the conversation that we have about law enforcement. And frankly, it becomes an important part of how we understand how law enforcement works. Let me transition to another challenge that you have, and you're someone that has looked at these issues. And I want to talk about the rights of citizens who are not interacting with the police or who are interacting with the police in a way that are not covered under the requirement that it be recorded. I know that there's something in the patrol guide about if a citizen says, I don't want to be recorded, and if it's and a police officer has the option to say, okay, since you're not part of any of these categories of things that I'm supposed to be recording, 
But what about dystopian view that some people see getting closer to reality that with facial recognition, with in the investigations getting broader and broader, that just a body-worn camera captures an image of someone who has nothing to do with the police department and they're concerned about their privacy. I'm sure you've given this mm-hmm. some thought. What is the latest thinking about how those interests get balanced? So I would try to take it a step further. One of my big concerns when we first started with body cameras, especially in a city like New York, where you have may have five, four to five million calls for service per year. That's 911 calls. That doesn't count for like proactive interactions the police have with the public. Imagine, you know, before requests, right? So if, imagine if you have an officer who's responding to a call for an intoxicated individual. That intoxicated individual turns out to be someone who's a high profile individual. Now, what happens if the neighbor across the street sees that interaction and makes a fall request for that video? And now you put that person, let's, I'm just going to say some for conversation's sake, as a politician. You put them in a position now where that bad moment that they had, they had a little too much to drink and, you know, the they, cops took him to the hospital and he sobered up and went home. That bad moment is captured on video now for at least 100, was it 18 months for NYPD. These are videos that are going to be destroyed. They have no evidentiary value. They keep them for 18 months. So that's one of the concerns from the privacy issues. We're sending officers into people's homes and underneath the Freedom of Information law, anyone can request that video. And if it's not involved in, in an active investigation, an arrest, some type of internal affairs investigation, there's nothing that says they really can't get the video. Right. You know, so and you can try and redact certain things. But, you know, especially right in the public and you're capturing, you, you're staying in the background and you add in like facial recognition, you know, listen, the upside is you may catch some bad people, right? You may get some bad guys and girls off the street through, through the technology, but cameras by themselves are ex- extremely intrusive into all of our lives. Yeah. Whether, you know, security cameras or body cameras. Well, you haven't, I mean, you touched on it, the sheer expense and difficulty of managing all of this data is also something that I don't think citizens fully appreciate. I mean, someone has to look at that video to determine whether or not it should be released, whether or not there are privacy concerns, whether or not there is a crime. And that, that's a giant infrastructure, not to mention what's involved in storing all of this data, what happens to it, does it truly get eliminated? You know, all of our concerns about, about privacy Body-worn cameras really do cross a lot of lines in terms of what are the competing interests of society, because obviously there is a right to know, there's a right to safety, the officer has a right, so there's it's a real complicated infrastructure, and you guys in the NYPD, I guess 25,000 some odd cameras out there, right? Yep. There's 24,000, and there's still some units that don't have cameras yet that I believe are going to be getting them in the next couple of years. Well, it's it's a get up to twenty six, twenty seven thousand. These are fascinating issues. Let me just conclude with one thing that's not exactly on this point, but it is a conversation that's going that's going on around the country. Ever since, it's tough to figure out what moment zero was in this. Maybe it was the George Floyd incident. Maybe it was the protests after. But there is this tension now of people who saying, "Listen, the community has gotten increasingly hostile." to the entire profession of policing. And Professor O'Donnell was trying to make that point in our previous conversation with him. 
And that some have responded in some jurisdictions of saying you cannot photograph police officers within a certain distance. Like, you know, I think some people have said within eight yards or whatever it is. And frequently you see during interactions with the police, police officers on top of having to deal with the interaction with the person who might be sometimes violent or might, they are gesturing people, get away, get away, get away with your cameras as if not to say that I have something to hide, but just to say, I'm trying to do my job here. Right. How much thought has the NYPD given to what the right, you know, where the line should get drawn with people having a right to photograph that might be a good thing, ultimately, as you've described it, sometimes it's problematic. Have you given some thought to what the right public policy should be on that? Right. So I, I think I do agree with uh, Mayor Adams. He came out a few months ago. He actually had a press conference and he was talking about this very topic about the public. You have a right to record, but you don't, you don't have a right to interfere. And what I find is that the mem members of the public often want to want to record because they want to capture the next sensational incident. But they don't necessarily realize what's happening. What are they recording? They don't know if the police are arresting this guy who's a child molester, who's a, who's a rapist or who's murdered someone or who just, you know, had a warrant because he didn't show up to court. And because they don't know in their, their ignorance, in which is, you know, not say ignorance, I shouldn't say bad choice of words, but they just don't know why this police interaction is happening. Sometimes they're putting themselves at risk. There's been cases where cops have been fighting with someone over a gun and people are standing around recording with their phones. As a member of the public, you have a right to record police officers' actions, but also say, keep in mind, these are still human beings. And I think we expect police officers to be immune from being disrespected. There's a book I'm reading right now called The Respect Effect. And one of the things it talks about is how your body reacts when you feel like you're being disrespected, right? How the cortisol and the adrenaline kicks into that frontal cortex of your brain and impacts how you react and you respond. So when we have people yelling and cursing at police officers and throwing bottles at them and then cameras in their face and the officer turns around and pushes someone, it's like, aha, you push me, you can't do that. It's, it's antagonistic behavior and it serves no one. It definitely serves our communities because, you know what, especially in New York City, black and brown communities are the ones who've been impacted the most. Right. So police officers and that chilling effect I mentioned earlier from, you know what, We'll respond if somebody calls, but we're not going to take any proactive action because it's not worth it. Yeah, it, I mean, look, it, you know, it, that's the reality that's going to hurt a lot of people. Yeah, from a Darwinian perspective, we all have this fight or flight instinct within us. And police officers, we ask them to flip that on its head. We ask them to kind of stay and engage at times when our, when every instinct in the civilian's body is to flee. And that's worth keeping in mind. Look, I, I really do appreciate both the service that you've done for our city in developing this program and your willingness to talk about it and understand that it's not a finished product. You know, I'm sure that with a lot of tools and law enforcement, I'm sure that when people came up with things like fingerprint analysis and hair analysis and all the and DNA, like people said, well, wow, this is amazing. And then we learn what the limitations are. And we have to adapt thereafter. But I appreciate your your willingness to have this discussion. So, Chief Hall, where, where can people read what you've written? Where can they do you have a Twitter handle? Are you available online anywhere? Where can people so, reach out if I'm, they have more more requests for information? Yeah. So, I mean, I'm always available through LinkedIn. And I actually, my dissertation is published online. If you go to Google Scholar, you can just put in my name and put my dissertation where I actually uh, focus on 
the effect of body-worn cameras, and not just police officers, we're on specialized, plainclothes, proactive policing, which is our uh, anti-crime uh, units in NYPD, which have now been revamped and repackaged as, I believe, public safety teams. That's great. Well, we appreciate it. You're, you're, you're Dr. Rudolph Hall, you're Chief Rudolph Hall, and to my... <laughs> To my, to my eternal embarrassment, when I first addressed you in email, I referred you as Sergeant. An officer, a buddy of mine, when I told him I had committed this gap, he says, a lot of guys think that's the peak of their career when they're a supervisor in a street unit. Being a sergeant <laughs> is no embarrassment. So we appreciate your service to our city. And thanks Thank for you. joining us on Keys to the City. All right. Take care. My pleasure. And we'll be right back with some final thoughts. So there you go. A great conversation with Rudolph Hall, Rudy Hall someone who was there at the birth of this program, someone that has some insight and experience and brought up some elements of this issue that we hadn't thought of before. Again, we will be back next week on the Red Apple Podcast Network talking about episode 11. We hope you'll join us then. And if you'd like to get copies of this episode regularly in your mailbox, you just have to subscribe anywhere you get podcasts. You can also go to the Red Apple Podcast Network where you can find podcasts from me, podcast from the other personalities at WABC Radio. You can also hear downloaded versions of my show, The Middle, and the show that I do with Curtis Lee, Will Left Versus Right. I hope you enjoyed this kind of catch-up edition. We will see you next week on our regular schedule on Keys to the City.